0: Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Samahasambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Samahasambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Samahasambuddhasa Buddham Dhammang Sangam Namasami So it's recorded that the Buddha spent a few years or the Buddha-to-be Buddha to spent a few years um, in his quest, his search his inquiry into what's the way of freedom from aging birth, aging sickness and death and uh, the big the, he Carried out this uh, inquiry very with great thoroughness and diligence, putting everything he had into it, was a turning point in that search, which was to do with his relationship with the body, with his body. Naturally, when we um, Consider things like the Buddha, aging, sickness, death. You know, well, that's a very much a bodily experience. So we think, well, to find a freedom from that, you want to get out of that whole body thing, which is what he tried to do for about six years. And uh, in that process, uh, Two particular features. One was the asceticism, which was a kind of repression of the body or a subjugation of the body, denying its pleasures or its food or its, you know, putting it under extreme pressure, trying to molest, suppress or subjugate the body. The other was a. going to formless states. So it's recorded that he could go into these formless states, which formless states of mind, that is states of mind like hypnagogic trances or out-of-body experiences, we might say, formless states, such as boundless consciousness. And... Uh, realm of neither perception or non-perception, very attenuated qualities of awareness. And you go into these states. So you could do both, you could do that, you could actually do that thing, you know, whereby you more or less get, you know, push the body to one side, don't take any interest in it, and then go to these formless states of mind. But he realized this, this didn't, in the end he did this for years, but it didn't really get him to to a place of release because he would go into these states and sooner or later he'd come out of it again. And he'd try it harder so he'd put more pressure on it you know, even just try to stop breathing altogether, attenuate it completely, try to Subjugate completely all bodily experiences. He found that didn't actually, still didn't work. So it was a big kind of heartbreak. <laughs> he did everything he possibly could, and then some, somehow, in the realising of that, that process, he'd taken it as far as he could. Just you know, come to more like a ordinary state of being embodied. And you know, eating what was necessary, a little bit of food. Eating what was necessary, and experiencing a sense of bodily ease, ease in the body, coming into the body, and through that a feeling of uh, or mental states of happiness, ease, comfort, warmth, mm. and gentleness, and uh, through that mind, going into. Uh, formed states. It's called jhana, which is an embodied experience. The body become the, experience of the body becomes very refined, the energies of the body become very subtle, bright. And then the pressure, the anxiety and the pressures of the mind start to pick up that and begin to relax and release through that. This is the way to enlightenment, or to liberation. In the um, Mindfulness of Breathing Sutta, the Buddha talks of two particular, uh, um, or uses two particular terms, one is called Kaya Sankara, which roughly means something like body energy. Bodily formation, it's called bodily formation. doesn't really give you much of an idea what that means. But it means the very sense of having a body that you, you can experience internally. So when you close your eyes and you forget the ideas of your body, the visual appearance of it, what do you experience as being embodied? A certain kind of sense of pressure and movement and warmth and uh, vitality, you could say kaya-sankara. So it's a kind of energy experience or a, a somatic experience, a somatic intelligence. And it also refers to chitta-sankara. So similar word. Chitta means the effective mind or the heart. And so this also is uh, something we experience, the kind of uh, feeling of being moved, touched, pleased, delighted, repelled, worried, pressurized, effective senses. And these two, chitta-sankhara-sankhara, and in the Sutra mind for some breathing, he says, first of all, you want to fully access the kaya Sankara through placing the mind on breathing in and breathing out. Keep doing that, that the mind, that that breathing in become long, Steady and then refined, subtle. And then use that steadying and calming and refining of the breath or the breathing to bring around a, a soothing and calming of the kaya sankara of this body energy. Fully tranquilizing or calming or steadying. And then the next step is to do with what's called the chitta sankara. It says from there you get this experience of this bodily embodied happiness, which is not because of something we're seeing or touching or tasting or even or thinking, but just the sense of vitality, and the feeling of, you could say, of. like when you feel really well, you know, you feel healthy and you focus on that, there's a certain tonal uplift you get with that. Hmm? It's something like that. And then through this, the mind, the chitta-sankara, the effective mind, becoming less restless or dull, which are the two main problems of it. It's either hyperactive, clawing, reaching out, trying to find something, running around in circles, or it's sluggish and dull and sunk. It swings from one to the other. But actually through this bodily experience of a kind of happiness that's not born of touch, sight, sound or hearing or thoughts, bodily ease, then there is a, a calming and steadying of the chitta-sankara, of the this mind or heart energy. It's calm. So the two go together. It's quite apparent when you practice it or when you consider it because you have uh, of all the senses seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, there's only two bases for feeling which is the body and the heart mind. Those your eyes don't, your eye visuality, vision doesn't have any feeling associated with it. You yeah. know, what you see may give rise to a, a, an impression that in your mind that, that you find you know delighted but it's not coming from the eye it's coming from the mind heart mind hmm. we just remember mind doesn't mean thinking you know? so call it heart it means a lot more than emotions but it's actually that affective sense you hear something the sound isn't delightful but what we make of the sound and clearly, that's because of course, you know um, you know listening to music at two o'clock in the afternoon can sound great, but somebody playing music at two o'clock in the morning can sound terrible, you know so it's the same sound, but what we make of it, we try and get to sleep you can look at a painting you know to look at a painting, so Jackson Pollock or someone. Think, wow, that's really wonderful. The person is just some mess on a canvas. <laughs> so the the eye doesn't see the beauty; the mind sees beauty through the eyes. Mm-hmm. So that being affected, being touched. So these two feeling bases, the body and the mind, they 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 cooperate. So when we uh, see something and you get a mental impression of delight your tend, body tends to perk up see someone you know and you feel fond of it, it's so uh, body sort of relaxed and opens up and vice versa if your body relaxes and calms and your mind, it becomes uh, calm peaceful mm-hmm. so this is the basic culture this where body and mind meet. This is our. This is the direct experience that the Buddha is pointing to for liberation, where the body and mind meet. Mm-hmm. And this is in this term sankara, because sankara, uh, sometimes translated in various ways, formations, fabrications, patterns, programs, is the um, the big. Um, leader of birth and death this is why tackling this the Buddha finds a way out of birth and death because this is the this is the, uh, this is the agent of it mm. we all got born because of you know this, this process of body energy being transmitted you know something we genetically inherit that You don't get it from dead bodies, you get it from live bodies. Our bodies grow out from that. We get the sense of who we are from Sankara. Sankara is said to construct and program all the other ways we have of knowing things. So it constructs and programs perceptions. It's the thing that kind of binds perceptions together. Our memories, our associations are all programmed. Tastes, what tastes, food tastes we have get programmed. So it's the kind of learning system, and that forms us, tells us who we are. You know, and it's very characteristic. You find it. some people have got a lot of quite nervy or. Strong energies, other people slower, mellow, calm, relaxed, or even reticent. Or you know, it's quite characteristic. People's energy patterns, how the mind and the body operate together through that. And when you contemplate it, you can see it's very difficult to really get very angry if your body's relaxed. Similarly, it's very difficult to relax if you're angry. (laughs) You know, or or bearing a grudge. So the two work together. So this is the prime mover of birth and death. Because it's in these ongoing programs that our identity gets established, a sense of the future, the past gets created, and memories of what we are, anticipations of what we'll be, the push that keeps us, our ego structures kind of rolling on trying to colonize the world through that and uh, characteristically another paradox is that eventually the Buddha could see the problem wasn't death but birth if you get born you're going to die no way about that so really the aim is to not get born And this means that even in this very life, that sense of forming oneself around that which dies, associating, attaching to it, being fed by that which passes and dies. Sense contact, sense realm leaves us. So, for the bo- for the mind to find that that release, it has to find it through undoing these very um, this very sankhara process, which we do first of all through tranquilizing, calming it, so it's no longer so re- re- reactive and jumpy, We're not just getting pulled along, thrown into things heedlessly, you know, swept into the future or swept into the past, or you know. building, keeping ourselves going we're able to let our lives come to a stasis, to a balance to a poise, to contemplate and then through the process of what occurs in that calm in a sense so that there's something that uh, you can only you, you begin to recognize as your mind calm as that process of energy calms down is a sense of, of awareness, which can survey, which can let go of things. We have a letting go capacity. And it's very fundamental. It's the, called the not sankara. It's not a particular program. It's not constructed. So it's quite fundamental, but because it's rather like um, you know, the space or the silence gets buried because of all the activities and the obsession with them and the continual search for more of them, or the struggling with them, and trying to suppress them. So all this is involved with suppressing feelings, memories, desires, aversion, and so forth. We don't notice this, this unconditioned. Uncreated. So the calming helps to just alleviate and soothe the conditioned realm we experience: our, our jumpiness, our reactivities, our plans and futures, and so forth. And then insight is contemplating that which can, which which begins to become more apparent the non-attachment. Of openness, a sense of space, a sense of a knowing that's not con, not constructing anything, not constructing thoughts. So, you know what most people do by them naturally is very much what in line with what the Buddha was doing in trying to find happiness is that you know. We try to, um, you know, what are people doing, really? Basically getting out of their bodies as much as possible. (coughs) The visual entertainments, music, sound, uh, ideas, computer games, mm, theories, Hypnagotic states, drugs, you know, those people are trying to get out of it. <laughs> so, even though the bodily indulgences that people get into are actually not really bodily at all. They're, the body acts as the recipient, but most of it's just about poisoning the body so you can kind of get to some buzzy, zap, zappy state mental state or heart state, emotional state. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, you know, because this is really what we can do. You know, we, it's quite we, quite clear that uh, that you, you know, we have this body-mind thing. So if you, you know, you're trying to find a way to get out of the, the painfulness of the physical form or the ordinariness of it, just it's plodding Plodding sense and it's, you know, it, it's sort of clumsiness and it's uh, simplicity—something to get off on And this is really, so it's not necessarily intellectual, but it's very much to do with the heart, mind, or to get out, how to get off, how to get out. Mm. So there's a. That is really the fundamental thing that we're beginning to to turn it around, saying actually within this body with its awkwardness and its clumsiness and its plodding, you know, thing, if you access it correctly, you can find a way to to release the mind from its confusion and ignorance. Release it from taking form into things. Release it from holding on to things, from identifying. So in retreat time, and particularly the, this, um, this particular training tradition is called a forest tradition, which is basically trying to earth, earth us, get us a bit more earthy. And it's quite um, popular as a way, partly because people do recognize how much giddy and spinning their lives are, how groundless they can be. How much we're caught up into virtual realities of finance and politics and ideas and media. You know, head full of it, pumped, you know, stuffed. The longing, something as long as to just get back to simplicity, direct experience. You know, which comes through this embodied state, embodied practices. And this is what forest dhamma is about. But on retreat, it becomes you, know, you can see it quite clearly. We spend hours sitting, walking, not really a lot of talking, and a lot of the expressions that we make to each other are physical. You know, people go and physically wash up, clean up, you know, look after each other, put the mats out. It's all about physical stuff, making gestures of kindness and appreciation, gestures of support based upon how we operate our bodies. There's a whole language that you begin to learn when you train as a monk or nun in this. Physical uh, gentleness, physical modesty. It's all about uh, expressing yourself through the body, you know, careening or, or jumping around or tottering, but composed, clear, steady, unhurried in the body. That's that itself, you know, if we just do that, just go through a day grounding yourself in the body, you begin to get some sense of release from this spinning wheels. Or the sluggishness, because it also means you've got to be acute, you've got to be aware of uh, how you move, how you operate particularly when we live in a group. The silence, quietness of body, moving the body around quietly, not crowding in on people, getting the body to sit up so it doesn't slump. It's mm-hmm. doing that is a sense of, of shifting your center away from this spinning abstractions Emotional confusion. A lot of Forest dumber is just practicing in this way, going up for arms, walking, barefoot, walking in Thailand, you walk barefoot, just walking, walking, A couple, an hour or so, sometimes longer, walking back, sitting down, moving around, Putting things out, putting things away, paying respects, bowing, mm-hmm. walking some more, walking up and down meditation path. Like that. No great ideas in it. Sometimes it's a challenge in its ordinariness, it's boring. What well, it can be boring. But that uh, austerity also is a, is a spur to you know, where, to finding out the, where the source of, of interest can lie. There's not much going on outside. In this country, the wintertime is a nice time for retreat because there's really nothing much you want to go out for. It's calm, it's, very, it's not a lot of activity. It's a great time for retreat and you want to be you want to be clear about your body you know because it's cold and raining you know, and shelter how to dress properly how to kind of move around so it's a very it's a, it's a very embodied time you feel that sometimes the body energy in the winter time is lower calmer steadier than in the in the spring when suddenly a big surge of of energy comes up is moving around in that, in that domain. Being affected by it, the dark, the coolness, the silence. to Those perceptions, nothing much, nothing much to look forward to. Well, that does. You know? So in a way, it also encourages to to study carefully where there is, where there is a lot of, of um, action, if you could say it, or is in, is in our bodies, the breathing in and out, the pumping of the heart, the warming, the vitality of the body. You begin to recognize how the the body and the mind are interconnected. and our foundational practice, scanning, studying. Body experience internally. sometimes if you can't even not even even have a full body, you walk up and down and realize there's just some legs and a head, maybe a bit of skin, and you're getting the, the full body, the back, the hips, as you walk along. when you sit, filling out the whole body. Not just, not just the upright or the sitting, but also the rotundity of the chest, the place, the, the whole area beneath the throat, throat on down. These effective places. Contemplating them, breathing through them. We breathe in and out. You feel that flow of breath moves through the, all this very Alive area of our bodies. The main area of it, the lively area is in all this chest, the throat, the belly, the head. And the first thing is to get it all balanced because uh, sometimes when you open up this area of of energy, bodied energy, you know, it it can get very unbalanced as you go up into the head. So they get very giddy or lose balance or energy's not even. So this is where, you know, fundamentally when we practice Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, you're trying to bring together the three elements of body knowledge. One is sensation, the actual physical sensations that occur, such as the pressure of the clothes on your chest, around your waist as you breathe in and out, the physical movement of it, the movement of the air brushing through the nostrils, the throat, the physical quality of that, the feeling quality of it, the feeling of it's pleasant or unpleasant, the energetic quality of it, whether it's always bright, alive, vital, stuck, tense, relaxed, Loose, flowing. That's probably the most important piece. Mm -hmm. Breathing by itself is quite neutral feeling in terms of sensations. Sensations are, uh, the feelings that arise from sensations, sensations are nothing much. But the feelings that arise from the energy are quite uh, colorful. So you get perceptions of light or of space or of silence feelings of imminence immediacy sharpness clarity the perceptual realm opens up in that and again it's uh, an area that can be so suddenly so so interesting or so dramatic that uh, beginning, the meditator is encouraged to, to keep the rhythmic process of breathing in and out firmly in mind so you get the, the fundamental qualities of, of, uh, of discharge. When you breathe out, something relaxes and let go. When you breathe breathing in, something brightens up. So you get that continual movement of discharging. There's the two two problem the main problem two problems that occur for people in terms of energy is either they get over energized, you get too much happening, you're not discharging. Or it gets stuck. It's not it's not moving. You get stuck energy, trapped. So the the most of the problems that occur in meditation occur around this. And around that sense of stuckness can come up. All kinds of ideas and impressions, all around the sense of 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 you know intensification, brightness, clarity, or, or vigor, vitality, rapture, can come all kinds of mental impressions and ideas and notions, because the energetic body is what holds our sense of who we are, on a non-verbal level, not the names, but our sense of where we are so when your energy goes up you suddenly feel you know you're in a different space and you get quite excited by that and we start to go can lose their moorings and think they're enlightened just because they've got an energy shift but it's really like just going up in an elevator you know you're doing an elevator you're not getting enlightened it's just going up in an elevator just up and down up and down so you get used to that sense of charge and discharge and in meditators encouraged to, to in fact draw the energy throughout the whole body. So in the instructions on mindfulness of breathing, Buddha says thoroughly, thoroughly feeling, thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. So we are in a way stitching or grounding our energy into the entire Entirety of the body that's across the chest. And you start to play with it, so bringing it across your chest. Because energy tends to go up or go down. And either of those can be a problem. Too much up, you get a bit lightheaded. Too much down, you get a bit stuck. So, across, so you start breathing across your body, across your chest. Um, and also um, opening up. So there are particular areas in the body where the energy, uh, where the body opens up. The palms of the hands, soles of the feet, the temples of the the, the head and the eyes. So these areas you start to open them. How do you open them? Well, (laughs) you breathe in and focus on those areas and start to widen, soften and they open up. So you're able to discharge energy. So, it's a way, almost like a way of cleaning the energy system. The energy system gets very much affected by uh, obviously by any kind of drugs we take, including nicotine, caffeine, alcohol, and so forth. Also, by uh, mental effects fear, grief, worry, aversion. Shut us down, bung us up. Yeah, as you know, you know, or you, when we get into these difficult energetic states, such as depression or grief, you often actually, we need to move your body around to get out of it, or you have to be held to, to get back to your senses again. It's a physical thing. Something needs to find a way out. Yeah. So in mindfulness of breathing, it's not a cathartic release, like a sudden throwing yourself around, but it's a gentle, continual, steady opening that allows energy to move through. And when we come to, the, to, this, to practice with this, you often find that the, the, the um, difficult somatic energy can correspond to difficult emotional energy. Mm. Feeling fearful, feeling a sense of not being welcome or feeling a lack of trust something that is slightly held in. Mm. Feeling a sense of uh, distaste towards ourselves, something this is held in. What's it like to feel welcome, relaxed, open? Mm. What's it like, not just an idea but as an embodied experience? does it feel like, you know, and you feel it in your chest, in your throat, in your hands, your head, it's kind of everything seems to open up. And the beauty of this is we, at that time we're not really having to go into all the stories of, you know, which, who knows how true they are, how real they are. The mind can come up with various stories of why I'm feeling like this or or who I am or whatever and there may be truth in that. But at this particular practice, we're looking just for towards the solution. Not the diagnosis, but the solution. So there's a sense of coming through the way, through using this body energy, you begin to release, relax, steady, calm, uh, psychological and emotional energies. chitta this isn't always uh, something we're uh, imagining or looking or even that apparent to us Partly because our attention tends to go to the places we're feeling more or less okay. Or we find that's quite natural. Or we go towards things that will make us feel okay. Whether it's company, reading, studying, walking around looking at nature. You know, we go to that which makes us feel more um, interested, alive. We don't go into our wonky places. (laughs) So you don't go there, you don't think you've got any. (laughs) Till you come and sit in meditation, then you suddenly realise something. Not everything is so good, you know. If you're kind of slumping or tense, you know? and it's not because of uh, the physical form, but because of energies, the body. Mm-hmm. There is something like, uh, when we feel irritable. Patiga, resistance, irritable, touchy, itchy, fretful, jumpy, snappy, grumpy, you know. Where's that coming from? We feel that gnawing hunger of like something to do or something to fiddle with or something to, you know, Where's that coming from? On retreats, these these areas are laid open because we don't have a normal uh, comfort things to go into. So some of the more unresolved areas that all of us have. So you know, Sometimes I go back to my akudhi and that feeling of, well, what should I do? And I've been sitting in meditation all all. Morning, all afternoon, what should I do? Nothing much to do, really, apart from sit some more. <laughs> I can kind of change it around. I have do some exercise, physical exercise, take a shower. But as so I notice that uh, something, realize there's nothing much to do. And is that something that, hmm, you know, And then I think, well, I'll try and read something. Actually, my mind doesn't want to read anything. I like something to do, but I don't want to read anything because I don't have to go through that process of getting my brain to operate. It just wants to sit, it wants to quiet down. (laughs) So I don't want to read anything. What are you going to do then? Won't come down do some stretching, do some physical exercise. These are, often I find I tidy my cootie up, which is great. You need something to do to actually get rid of all the bits of paper that accumulate over a (laughs) year. But there's that inclination towards just clearing, cleaning, finishing, tidying, resting. And so slowing down because when we're coming from fairly active, responsive thinking, planning, figuring, remembering, calculating state you know, the wheels don't just stop. You have to put them to something to slow them down. So if find physical exercise tidying, cleaning up things slowing it down something that's not really about accumulating or making more, getting more involved actually about just tidying up, putting things away. So that gradually there's that sense of moving towards rest, a rest that's not sleep, a rest that's a rest of this sankara, these programs, these uh, should be, ought to be programs, these am I this, am I that? Programs, these measurement, self-measurement programs, the hashing over the memories, sorting out the rights and wrongs, the tribunals, getting, putting a, a, those coming out of resting all that, resting the future. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to do. So you're starting to find that in that rest from these is a release from creating oneself, from perpetuating that. And interestingly enough, we can find that it's possible you can be there. There's a a beauty in that. The place where you start to end, where your story ends. Something beautiful. And this is very much a transformative process. A pre- Dhamma practice isn't just an accessory where we can, you know, we can take it one level just tidying our act up a bit. You know, recognizing the value of precepts and skillful actions, and just becoming a better person. Taking it further, this is really about a transformation. And we start to, on a retreat, find those places where we find ourselves unnecessarily holding on or compulsive. When you can feel this pressure building up, things going out of balance. and we're transforming through relaxing and resting that. We transform from sankara, from activity, to the not so much inactivity as the unprogrammed, like a blank page, potent, available, not written on, not owned. Open. This is beautiful. It's not uh, a blank out. You can turn that towards the feeling of your own body, your own presence, whatever's going on. Receiving that and sensing those responses and judgments and attitudes that come up calming, soothing, or you can just turn towards that openness itself. The openness of recognizing that the future, the past, and what we conceive of the present are all created, and we can rest from that. And The beauty of this is, it's this uh, realization: is it's not something that takes us out in a in a repudiation of body or form or feeling or people or responses or relationships, but it, it says, you know, you you are because you're bigger than that. You can take this. You're not holding on to it. You're not trapped in it. You can get around this, you can, you can embrace all this, you can be bigger, you're bigger than this fundamentally, you're like the page, and you can write what you like on it, because you can go back to that empty page again, it doesn't, the page doesn't mind what's written on it, the page isn't hanging on to the writing, it's like writing in water, your life is written in water, as it moves on, the ripples dissolve and you can write what needs to be written what's good to write so it gives you that freedom it's not a not a annihilation fundamentally but a release so this is what we can bear in mind you know practicing getting getting the idea the sense of what it's about and then starting to work on the very practice at the very uh, places where suddenly there seems a lot going on in our our body-mind. Heat or tenseness or dullness or just black holes or falling into holes. Steadying that, brightening it, bringing life through that system. so It begins to shrug off and shake off the forces of ignorance and delusion. So, well, for that, for your reflection, I must admit, sometimes I really don't want to keep saying things. <laughs> this happens to be one of those nights.